the issue. Um, we are in the midst of a sermon series on the book of Daniel, and this isn't a, actually a diversion from it. It's actually going to be a vital part of, I think, what it means as we study the book of Daniel and what it means to be people of God who live faithful lives in exile. Let me show you some statistics. How many people are homeless in Chicago? As of 2017, 82,212 people were homeless in Chicago. By the way, most of these statistics were taken right from the Chicago, excuse me, Coalition for the Homeless website, which you could easily access. Next slide, please. 82% of these homeless residents live doubled up. That basically means these folks are seeking shelter with family and friends. That's what doubled up means. In homes of others due to hardship, often in overcrowded conditions. So this is important as we continue to talk because when we think homeless, many of us have just one picture of what homeless looks like. But when the the larger picture is shown. This is an enormous issue that impacts thousands of lives in Chicago. Next slide, please. So how many homeless students are in Chicago? And this is, this is for me, hitting me uh, more powerfully than ever before as my son now attends Lane Tech as a seventh grader. It's a school of about 5,000 students and to know that there are students in his school who are homeless. Um, to some of the breakdown, there are 18,117 homeless students of last year. The next slide. That's almost 5% of the total student enrollment is in CPS. By the way, we have so many CPS school teachers come to our church who are heroes of mine. This is nothing new to you, is it? And I could already see some of you getting emotional. I could see from here. Because these are your kids. These are your students. These aren't random statistics. These are names with faces. Um, almost 86% of these students lived, again, doubled up in homes of others due to hardships. Next slide, please. 12.6% of the students, the actual numbers, 2,286, lived in shelters. Another 1% lived in motels, park, other public spaces, or temporary foster care placement. The next slide. 12.6% were unaccompanied youths defined as teens who were homeless and living on their own without a parent or guardian. Next slide. Homeless students identify CPS were 97.8% children of color. Uh, specific breakdown. 82% were African American. Over 13% were Latino. Over 1% other ethnicities and over 2% were white, with 12 of those who were not identified. Next slide, please. 
Another 22.7% of the students were diagnosed with disabilities or developmental delays. Next slide. So what are some demographics of homeless people who are being served by shelters and housing programs? <sighs> this next slide really hit me uh, also. Chicago reported the largest increase in veteran homelessness between 2009-2016, a 20% increase by 101 people. I was watching the news last night, and uh, anybody see the news last night? I highlighted a veteran by the name of Nelson Rodriguez. Anybody? And essentially, he died about a month ago, a veteran of Desert Storm. His family didn't have enough money to fly to Chicago, they live in Florida, or take care of the funeral arrangements. So a group of people stepped up, paid for funeral arrangements, and United Airlines, I think it was, paid for the plane ticket so his wife could come and take his remains back home. He was one of 40,000 homeless veterans in the United States. And we have veterans, by the way, among us. The city reported, next slide, that 10.2% of those who were homeless in 2016 were veterans, up from 7% in 2015 and 9% in 2014. In other words, you guys, this is a population that is rapidly increasing. And some of you know, because you have family members who are veterans. 2015 survey, next slide, Chicago reported that 14% of homeless adults were employed. Employed. Again, a big myth for some folks is that if you're homeless, you're just not employed. 14%, Chicago, folks who work have jobs. 4% were HIV positive, 19% physically disabled. And the next slide, uh, next statistic, 33% were severely mentally ill. The correlation of mental illness with homelessness is too complex for me to understand, but I've talked with enough folks who work with them to know that it is a major cause of homelessness. Next slide, and this is somewhat concerning for me. In 2015, Chicago reported 1,700 emergency shelter beds available compared to 2,064 beds. Some of you know that our state across the country has been cutting funding to certain social service sectors, and one of the areas that's being heavily impacted are areas they care for, folks who are most in need. Uh, the next slide, I guess a bit of a, a better news, is that there were 4,574 beds in transitional housing, which was an increase from the year before, and 7,600 beds in permanent supportive housing, which was down. Next slide, please. Uh, how many homeless folks are survivors of domestic violence? In 2016 point in time count, the city of Chicago reported that 26% of shelter population were domestic violence victims. Next slide, in a comprehensive 2004 study, 56% of women in Chicago shelters reported that they had experienced domestic violence for the Center for Impact Research. Next slide. And 36% said they had experienced physical or sexual abuse in their homes as children, according to the report, Pathways to and from Homelessness, Women and Children in Chicago Shelters. A 
what is the racial breakdown of homeless people in Chicago? And I gave you a glimpse of that as we looked at CPS statistics. First 2016 point in time count, the city of Chicago reported that the racial demographics of people living in homeless shelters were 76% black, 19% white, and 5% of the ethnicities. Next slide. Of this, 10% of the sheltered population self-identified as Latino, regardless of race. And in a moment, I'm going to actually this morning hear mostly from Lynn Oliver, who has been one of the key volunteers and servers with our Open Arms Ministry. And he could tell you a little bit more about the demographics of those folks that we serve. And then the next slide. What is the income needed to pay for rental housing in Illinois? And I'm almost done. And this, again, I'm not a housing you know, issue expert, but, but when you kind of do the math, you see some of the ramifications of how our society goes about city zoning, planning, housing, that really doesn't care about nor concerned with those who are poor, and least amount of resources. So three slides, real quick. According to the annual out of, research, out of reach study by the National Low Income Housing Coalition, the Illinois housing wage is $20 an hour, which is the 16th highest among the states. And I presume that in the city of Chicago, it's even higher. Next slide. This is based on a fair market monthly rent of $1,085 for a two-bedroom apartment in Illinois, and assumes a 40-hour work week for 52 weeks a year. Why is that important? The last slide. With the Illinois minimum wage at $8.25 an hour, a household needs two minimum wage earners working a total of 101 hours a week to pay for a two-bedroom's fair market rent. So what does a single mom with kids do? What happens when jobs that were once formally available are no longer available. What happens when the cost of housing continues to increase and our wages and what we pay remains the same? Then comes God's word in terms of what we are called to do. Jeremiah 29. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city where I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You need to know if you're new to our church that one of the anchoring passages of who we are and what we do is here. This is the big idea of Matthew 5 when Jesus says, you followers of Jesus are a city on a hill. Chicago is a big, big, gigantic city. And Jesus says, within the larger city of Chicago, I am calling a smaller city a people called New Community Covenant Church. And here's the mission for you, New Community Covenant Church. The mission for you is to be a small city in the larger city that gives an alternate vision for what the larger city of Chicago should look like. Can I get an amen? You, little city of Chicago, and the larger city, you, new community, need to be an outpost of the kingdom of God that shows the rest of the city what I am about to do. See, we believe at our church that the whole point of salvation and redemption is not just individual souls being saved, but God redeeming and restoring all of creation. And the mission that we have is twofold. 
to be a little city. The mission, first and foremost, is we in our lives together need to give a radical vision of how countercultural God's people are and the way we do life together. Is there radical economic sharing among us so that Acts 2, there is no needy among us? Are you generous with your resources, your homes? Are you welcoming to the stranger, to the immigrant, to the needy? Are we any different in terms of how we do relationship when it comes to race, ethnicity, gender? What kind of a, 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 a city, smaller city, do people see in the way we, do they look at this small city and go, now that's how the city of Chicago ought to be. Look at that. That's not only... If we stop there, we don't fulfill the mission of God. Because a lot of churches might stop there and go, look, it's about us. God says, no, 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 I need you to now move out and seek the peace, prosperity, which is the Hebrew word shalom, wholeness, flourishing in every way, culturally, spiritually, physically, socially, every way. And God says, I need you to move out, take all the resources of your life, time, energy, education, network, house, Everything that I've given you. And he says, invest it so that it leads to the flourishing of the larger city of Chicago for every person, whether they believe or not. Be a city within a city that gives a countercultural vision to what life is supposed to be and move out and work for the healing and flourishing of the city. Any gospel that ends at individual salvation, individual souls being saved is a truncated gospel. It must result in holistic flourishing and redemption or it's not the whole gospel. So this morning, I am um, privileged to introduce you. Some of you don't know him and you need to get to know him. Lynn Oliver, who has been a part of our church since 2007, 2008, and uh, Lynn and Lucy Oliver uh, found our church, actually, via recommendation of their daughter-in-law uh, while we were uh, at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The daughter-in-law saw our church sign when we used to meet there, jogging on Logan Boulevard. So that's how she found out about us. So thank God for joggers and Google. Um, <laughs> you guys, give Lynn a big hand as he comes up, all right? Come on. <clears throat> I got you. Keep hanging on to that. I got you. Yes, you do. You look sharp, Lynn. Very nice. Yeah, I wife, like your corduroy jacket. Of course yeah, you did. Yeah, right. Yeah. Come on, have a seat. You can you can get it at a thrift store, right? I've become a thrift store junkie uh, since I started working for Open Arms. Um, Sometimes I find a bargain for me. Yeah. Glad you're here today. Glad to be here. So Open Arms, uh, which Lynn is going to introduce you more to, uh, is uh, uh, the ministry that our church is, is so closely uh, affiliated with, I guess is the ter terminology sure. now. But many of you guys need to know, do you know that before our church even started worshiping on Sundays, when I was in the process of gathering a small group of people, there was a college student couple, Max and Tricia Holodenko. Never forget them. They were students in North Park, and their ministry, while they were students, was packing a 15-passenger van with like 20 students. And every Friday night, they went out to the larger city with blankets and food. 
And they just ministered to men and women who were homeless throughout the larger city. Because this had been something that Trisha had been doing since he was like 10 years old. So when they became a part of our church, before we even started worshiping, part of our gathering involved folks going with them in these very 15 passenger vans. And that ministry led to opening up a storefront on diversity, which was just caring for and giving coffee and hot chocolate, so on and so forth, to 15 years later, Open Arms, which is now a nonprofit. 501C. But tell us a little bit, uh, first and foremost, about Open Arms, Lynn, okay? And uh, what is it? What, what does Open Arms do? And uh, yeah, let's start there. Okay. Uh, Open Arms actually is two ministries. Uh, when we um, bought this church, we inherited a uh, 30-year ministry called uh, Elijah's Pantry. And so that's the longer... Uh, older program, and uh, it serves about 200 families each month uh, with uh, groceries. Uh, We had to close a couple weeks, and I stood outside and listened to very angry and very hurt people because uh, they couldn't access the pantry uh, while we were doing our construction. Um, So... uh, we get a stipend from the uh, from the Cook County to help pay for the for the food from the Greater Chicago Food Depository, which is an amazing amazing um, amount of food. Last week, uh, the uh, um, Open Arms the drop-ins folk uh, carted in a ton mm. of uh, food from the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Um, which is the second ministry is the drop-in center that we have. Um, it was on diversity, then went us over at uh, Church of the Advent, and now it's moved into our fellowship hall. And that's uh, uh, a drop-in center from 10 o'clock in the morning to 2 in the afternoon on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We had been open on Thursdays. Uh, we lacked a shortage of funds and volunteers, so we've cut back to two days. Um, and there we serve uh, a lot of coffee sometimes more sugar than coffee. Uh, There's a kind of a sugar addiction going on among our homeless population. Um, And um, breakfast, sometimes it's hot oatmeal and uh, we get uh, a donation from Panera. So we, sometimes we got cookies and muffins and rolls and that kind of stuff from them. And then a hot lunch. uh, and uh, sometimes those are almost uh, gourmet meals. Mm. We've been, uh, this summer, been getting donations from the farmer's market on Logan Square mm. and amazing salads, uh, thanks to uh, those contributions. Um, we also do uh, a clothing distribution uh, on Tuesdays. T-shirts and underwear and socks and hoodies and uh, sometimes some shoes and a pair of jeans, um, winter coat sometimes, depending on what we got. Um, we also um, uh, have a nurse uh, comes, and uh, so some of the medical t- uh, things are attended to. Uh, do a, a ID cards and uh, help people get uh, their uh, state IDs and so on. Um, so there's a, a variety of programs and ministries that we do. Um, it's pretty uh, complex and often chaotic. Mm. Um, if I can just uh, talk about the population yes, sir. T- to that crowd. I was thinking, as I was listening to uh, Pastor Peter in the slides, the population here is bit, fairly unique. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a significant number of undocumented uh, folk mm. come uh, here. Um, some of them got left behind. 
you know, when they came over here and got jobs and had work permits and so on, and now uh, can't get back. Yeah. Um, there's a fair amount of uh, mentally ill, um, a fair, uh, a high amount of addiction. Um, there are a number of uh, elderly people. There are some people almost as old as me uh, who, you know, who are on SSI or, or on Social Security or trying to get on those programs because they also have uh, physical disabilities. Um, so it's a struggle. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, um, yeah, am I missing something? Anybody who's involved, am I missing anything piece there? That's what we do. How did you get involved? The mail? Is that what you're asking? Oh yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, that over over 200 people call uh, have this address is their address, mm -hmm. and that's fairly significant when uh, whether it's a traffic ticket fine or you know a social security check or venture cards to get to the methadone clinic, um, those kinds of things, mm. and sometimes uh, you get some desperate guys looking, hey, did the mail come? Hey, could you get me the mail? Would you look at the mail? Mail's pretty important. You're right. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Um, right. How did you get involved working with open arms and the homeless population? Uh, that's a bit of a journey. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not anything that I would lean into or pick. I uh, moved, uh, Lucy and I moved here from um, southern Minnesota, farm community. I grew up in Minneapolis, uh, so I know the city, a city, a little bit. Uh, and um, so I would have never, never imagined this involvement. Um, I'm, I'm really an anomaly in a lot of ways. Um, maybe that would be, could be true for all of you in some future time. Um, uh, two things. Uh, one is that when we, when we engaged and decided to be part, part of New Community, uh, Open Arms uh, and Friday Night Outreach, our small group uh, was doing that, and so we said, okay, if that's what New Community is about, then I guess that's what we're going to be about, because that's what they're about. Um, so that, that was kind of a logical sense. If that's going to be the min outreach ministry, then we need to be committed to that in some mm -hmm. way. So, um, you know, those Friday nights at 10 o'clock talking to guys behind the pickle store, um, you know, that was quite eye-opening and mm -hmm. interesting and a bit weird and um, still feels a little weird when I do that. Um, but that was kind of the start. And then one Sunday, uh, Pastor Michael was preaching on uh, gifts of the Spirit. And I don't think he was particular about any gift, but he, he asked a couple questions at the end of the service. What are the needs uh, in our community and in our church right now? Mm. And then secondly, what is your availability? Mm. And thirdly, what are you willing to do? Mm -hmm. So, um, Shortly after, um, you know, we needed uh, somebody to uh, take over or to help out at uh, the drop-in because uh, Dave and Amy were having a baby. So I said, oh, okay, I guess that's what I could do. You know, I'm retired. Uh, I came here to work with my grandchildren, uh, and I have four of them, and they're marvelous, and they take up lots of my heart and my time. Uh, 
and uh, preempts just about everything else uh, that I do. Um, but I had some afternoon morning time, so I, I started there. Um, I first was, I didn't know that I was the security guard. I didn't, nobody told me that's what his <laughs> job was. But what I did was, was that I, I refilled the sugar and the creamers for the coffee, and nobody talked to me uh, for, you know, several weeks. Um, then I got promoted to handing out the blue jeans and hoodies. Uh, now I had to say, Jose, Laura, it's your turn. You know, Pedro, it's your turn, et cetera, et cetera. So I had to learn their names. And mm -hmm. then when they come up and I, you know, we'd get, get the shirt or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so I got to, got to learn the names of the guys mm -hmm. and some of the women uh, there. Uh, and so that's kind of, it's kind of like um, stepping into a riptide. Mm. If any of you had ever waded into a river and you discovered the current was strong mm. and you backed out, right, if you were smart. <laughs> but if you do this, you step in and then pretty soon you're pulled in. That's what happened. I know that you care uh, deeply about the folks that you serve? And this might sound like a weird question, but why do you care, Lynn? Um, and what, what is it that motivates your heart to continue to serve our homeless neighbors? Um, I think sometimes uh, caring, for me anyway, started with obedience. Mm. Um, lots of times we want to feel good or positive or excited or whatever about doing something like that. Um, but I know that, at least for me, I had to start with just obeying God. And the caring, you know, sort of took care of itself in some ways. Um, when you get next to, to folk, then you start to recognize, you know, those needs. Uh, and you feel the desperateness that they have for a clean pair of underwear and a pair of socks. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember a young uh, a woman came looking for, she needed underwear, and, all, and we had men's briefs. I don't know if you many women wear men's briefs, size 36. Um, my wife said, that ain't good. And so she went down and got a dozen pair of women's undies. And so the next time she came, I, she's kind of hemming and hawing and going, you know. I said, you know what, I think I have something in this bag. Will you check that out? And she opened the bag and opened her, and her eyes got big. Praise God, praise God, mm. praise God, praise God. And I got the biggest hug. And those kinds of things break your heart down, you know? Yeah. Um, it's um, uh, that desperateness then turns into some hope and some good feelings about yourself, some respect. And so those little small, maybe just momentary transformations are, are amazing. Mm. Um, so sometimes, so it begins with that need, and you know, and you, and, you know, they steal and they lie and they cheat you and you know, take all, all you got if you turn your back, and that's happened. And 
um, so you know how desperate they are and, and what struggles they have. Um, or begging, you know, please, can I get a venture card? You know, last week, you know, my stuff got stolen and I need to get to the methadone clinic and, ah, you know, and you know, it turns your stomach. Or, um, or s the other piece is, uh, is just the sense of uh, God's uh, miraculous presence. Hmm. When, I was, uh, when I worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, you know, a thousand years ago, uh, my staff director said, um, Lynn, when you go on campus, you need to know where is God at work. Mm. Pray that prayer. Ask God, where are you at work here? Mm. And I pioneered a lot, a number of uh, university chapters on, on campuses in Southern Men in South Dakota. So that was, an, that was an urgent kind of prayer for me. I'd walk into a campus and not know anybody and I have to say, God, where are you at work? Where is there a student or a faculty or someone who is counting on you, who, who's praying, who's worshiping, who's wanting to do Bible study, whatever? Well, that's kind of what we've got to do here with this, too. Where's God at work? And so I started to see things mm. like that. Mm. Um, this summer when we got, uh, you know, okay to take, uh, take the extra from the farmer's market at Logan Square, what an amazing miracle and boon to us. Mm. Or when Carl Dahlstrom and I went to the uh, Winnetka garage sale, which is the most enormous garage sale on the planet, I'm sure. And they said, you know, would you talk to Chris? Because I bet you could get the extra men's clothes at the end of the sale. And we got 50, 50 bags of men's clothing mm. for our ministry. Mm. Doing it twice now. <laughs> or, or, when it's my turn to make the meal, and I asked Nelson, what do we got? And he's chopping a little bit of onions and the green peppers. I probably have told this story a hundred times. And uh, on the board, it's uh, pork roast, black-eyed peas, rice. And we have one pound of pork roast for 45 guys and no rice. And at the end of the meal, we had black-eyed peas, one pound of pork, and four pounds of rice. How that rice showed up, I have no idea yet, but we found the rice, mm. and everybody ate. Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, those little kind of loaves to fishes kind of miracles mm. happen. Uh, or somebody dropped off some uh, women's underwear and some feminine products, and when Sheena came, and her bra broke, and she was kind of holding herself together as she came in for lunch. And then I saw that and I said, you know, I think I can help you. And so she's looking through and she says, oh, I'm, I'm just, I just, uh, she didn't want to tell me that she really needed some help because she was stuffing herself with all kinds of toilet paper. I'm sorry, this is a little gross here, but, and when I opened the box up and said, take what you need, sweetie. And she broke down and wept. To where God is at work. Small things make a big difference to folk like that. That happens a lot. 
you know, the, the Mormon ladies who volunteer every Tuesday and cut, make the food or hand out the, dish, hand out the uh, or the, or the uh, Palestinian gals who come and volunteer, um, or the crew that came and put together all of the, all of the rolling racks for the pantry one evening. Um, guys from James and Nate and Brian, amazing, wonderful miracles. Uh, or all of a sudden there's 10, 10 hoodies that I didn't know I had, and now 10 guys get hoodies next week. There's just, that happens over and over. I think the last thing is because, uh, because it gives hope. Tom Gordon talks about, Gorman talks about, that's what this is. Um, Open Arms Drop-In Center's ministry is fairly unique. We don't, for one thing, we let people hang around and have two or three or five cups of coffee. Mm. Most of the drop-in centers, most of the shelters, you get a cup of coffee, you get your meal, and you go out the door. Mm. You can't stay in when it's raining or when it's cold. Uh, here we get to let you st stay as long as you need to. Well, until we close. Uh, or come early sometimes, and much to the chagrin of the neighbors. Uh, <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and, uh, and we give out clothing and toiletries, and Jamie Bond becomes a miracle worker with the stuff that we were able to, uh, to buy and get uh, shampoo and deodorant and toothpaste and that kind of stuff. Mm. It's wonderful. So we give hope. Um, there's, a, there's a kind of resiliency of, of among this crew that we work with uh, and, uh, and, and, a, and a growing loyalty to what we do. When the pantry food comes and there's a ton of food out at the door, they're up. They're out the door, they're pulling it in, putting it in the carts, hauling it back. Uh, they don't hesitate. If mm -hmm. I need somebody to wash dishes, there's a guy who still wash dishes. Uh, wipe off the tables, you know, it's, um, that's wonderful because there's a sense of community that's developing. We have a lot of things we want to do with the program. Um, we're kind of waiting for a new floor and some lights and space and things like that, but you know, it's coming and so, uh, we have a new director, Daryl Washington, uh, was just hired this uh, beginning of this month. Uh, Joni Emerson uh, runs the pantry and volunteers at the drop-in, uh, tirelessly uh, laboring for those programs. So, uh, lots of good stuff there. A couple more questions before yep. we end, Lynn. I think it was about a month ago while we were talking about radical hospitality yeah. that you briefly said, this is what we're doing. We're living out and practicing radical hospitality. Can you share a little bit with us why radical hospitality in many ways is at the core of what Open Arms is and us caring for the homeless men and women? Yeah, earlier you'd asked me, um, you know, how does radical hospitality uh, and caring connect? And, and I thought of two answers. First of all, they're equivalent. Um, and secondly, uh, uh, if you open your doors, your heart or your, your home or uh, the doors of our church and you invite strangers, uh, in lots of ways these are folk that nobody else in the neighborhood wants, um, God wants, um, 
and of all kinds of stripes, and they have fights with each other. We had to put out a fight the other day between a, a Ukrainian and a Yugoslavian. <laughs> they weren't getting along. Um, or, uh, you know, they come in and they've had too much to drink, and we, we have to send them home because that's the home, wherever home is, back to the bridge. Uh, but um, when you invite them in and you get to know them, then it's, it's tough not to care. It becomes the same thing. Um, but it also grows care. Uh, I, mean, I think it's all, it's all about risk. It's all about um, doing the next thing that, that you might know how to do to, to extend yourself to love a stranger. Um, take some kind of risk and then be open to God as to what in the world the next thing will be because you don't know. Yeah. You know, when, when uh, I, I was just reading Psalm 119, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. When I was in eighth grade, I made a hurricane lantern in shop class out of a Crisco can. No, none of you know what a Crisco can is. You do? Somebody? No Crisco <laughs> Yeah, I, I made, and if you, if you put that little candle in the Crisco can, it has a little shield from, to, to hide it for, so the wind won't blow it out. You only see about a foot in front of you. And lots of times that's what this is about. You only see a foot in front of you, and then you stick your hand out, and then you see the next foot, and then you know the next step you can take. And that's what will happen. And that's what risk about, and that's what love's about, and that's what caring's about. And I think uh, I can't imagine anybody who doesn't roll up their sleeves and get involved in open arms at some level ex not experiencing that and then, then being amazed and surprised at what, what the next step is. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what's. It doesn't, but it's a better answer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Lynn, Sorry. <laughs> Lynn, last question before we wrap up. It's clear that you care deeply about the men and women. Tell us one of your favorite sort of stories or someone that you'd like us to know from Open Arms that's deeply impacted you and you've seen God work powerfully. I'll end on that. Yeah, I've got about six names here. Um, uh, Martin is a truck driver, and he'd worked... Uh, that kind of job. And then he had an, was in an accident, and so then he was disabled. Um, I, maybe I like him because my, I have a son named Martin, um, and uh, he, he's pretty faithful. He wears. Uh, he he allowed me to exchange his uh, his Karkoff coveralls, and I could wash them. And I got another pair from a buddy of mine up in Minneapolis, and so he got a clean pair of coveralls so that he could. Uh, work. He's disabled. He gets a disability check. I'm not sure where he lives, but he pushes a cart up and down the alley. He's looking for things out of the dumpsters to sell, and that's his uh, other source of income. He's not a user. He's not a, uh, an addict. Um, doesn't have very many teeth left, and he hates vegetables. <laughs> I'm not a rabbit, man. So this summer's been a trial for him, you know. Uh, He's not feeling the farmer's market. No, no, no. no he, not so much. <laughs> not so much, you know. <laughs> you know, how much kale can you eat, right? I don't know. It's just, it's 
But every day I see him, when I see him, he, uh, I ask him how he's doing. He said, praise God, I'm alive. And he never fails to say, God bless you, Lynn. God bless you. Um, so Martin means a lot to me. Uh, and uh, he comes in a little late, and sometimes the other day he, he, had, uh, he knew where there's a, he was going to score on some uh, air conditioners that were being thrown away, and so the scrap metal business was going to pick up for him. And, and so he wanted to know if he could eat and run and, and, and get a pair of socks and some undies. Um, that's kind of, that's so common, uh, um, but there's a, there's a man of faith there uh, walking our alleys, picking up our trash, mm. trying to make a little bit of a living. Yeah. I admire him. Uh, I, I'd like to tell you about, about Carmen and Don. Uh, because they're struggling. And if you can imagine uh, two guys who live under one of the bridges close by here who got robbed of, of their uh, medications. Uh, one of them is a heroin addict and needs methadone. Um, and their phones and what the stuff they have. Uh, um, when I see Carmen, I, I know he uh, came out of rehab and, and treatment and I said, and he's, he tells me it's a struggle, but he's keeping the faith and he's holding steady. But man, it's tough, especially when all your stuff gets ripped off. Yeah. Um, but he's, uh, so, um, from pouring the, you know, filling the sugars and the creamers to allowing me to be able to talk about those kinds of things with them and to, some, and to pray for them, I, I'd like you to imagine those two guys One's tall and slender and handsome and does the crossword puzzles and, and, uh, and they're tired and they're kind of worn out. Um, Carmen and Don, please pray for them. Anything else? When we're done here today, uh, Lynn has some pamphlets that Open Arms has made and various ways that we could be involved, serving, giving. And I told Lynn, instead of having it set up in the back at Newcomb Central, we're just going to put this table over here. Lynn will be over here with the pamphlets and material for you to grab and for you to talk to Lynn um, if you'd like before you head out today. Lynn, I think what would... Yeah, yeah. Is there yeah the, the, the flyer is... Um, on one side is about volunteer opportunities, the other side is about donation needs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, uh, so please pick one up. Yeah. Um, I think what would be really great is if you would lead all of us, Lynn, in prayer for the homeless men and women and the guests that we serve as we close. How's that? Okay. Let's, let's pray together, church. Our kind and loving, gracious, merciful, powerful God. We um, 
we open our arms to you because we want to tell you that we want to open our hearts to you and to the people that you care so much about, the, the ministry that you've given New Community. Yeah. yeah. It's my prayer, Lord, that you will stir each of us yeah. in some way, big or small, yeah. to, um, to put our hand into that and our heart into that program and that ministry, into the people that you cause us to serve. We don't know where the future is going, Lord, but it's my belief that as we pull it together, Jesus. you will create a future that we would find amazing and astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. For your kingdom's sake, yeah. we make this prayer. In Jesus' name.